as the largest design firm, we have a responsibility to the industry to lead. We also have a responsibility because in that leadership, we can scale impact. And so that's not to say like, because we're the biggest, you know, yada, yada. It's more to say like, let's understand that scale matters. And if we want to make a change in our profession around ensuring that we are diversifying our designers, that we are focused on recruiting and creating a pipeline for designers of color, that a firm like Gensler can make a a significant impact in our industry because of our scale. Hello and welcome. I'm Rob Levitt, and this is C-Suite Marketing. Today's episode is with Leslie Taylor, Global Director of Marketing at the architecture and design firm Gensler. You may have heard Leslie talking about thought leadership, social issues, and corporate purpose at an ITSMA conference last year. We also ran a short excerpt of that discussion on this podcast a while back. I wanted to have more time with Leslie to go deeper on those issues, so was thrilled to record a full episode with her for today. C-Suite Marketing is sponsored by Boardroom Insiders, a business intelligence platform that makes executive engagement easier than ever. Learn more at boardroominsiders.com. Learn more about this podcast and all the work we do on executive engagement, ABM, and other B2B marketing issues at ITSMA.com. And please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And now for today's show. So, Leslie Taylor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am excited to talk about the work that you're doing, what you're seeing out in the marketplace. We have talked before. I'm going to pick up on a few threads from previous conversations. Um, But let's just start level set here for for the folks. Um, Tell us a little bit about Gensler and about your role in the marketing program and organization. Yeah, absolutely. So Gensler is the is the leading global design firm. We design anything that that you can imagine, from branded spaces to airports, hospitals to law firms. We um, cross the world. We're in fifty offices around the world and work with an incredible client group. and And we're really focused on the power of design and how design can impact the built environment. I lead marketing. And it's been at Gensler for going on uh, 10 years. And I have the, the privilege of really leading the brand and our owned content, as well as our marketing infrastructure across the firm. We have a great network of marketers on the ground in those 50 offices. Um, it's a community of about 200 professionals that are focused on marketing, communications, um, public relations. And then where I sit in the organization, I am certainly a resource to those local marketers, um, as well as really focused, as I said, on that that larger global brand uh, and how we're really communicating with our clients and our people, because we are a talent brand as well, 
and then just design enthusiasts. Excellent. All right. So for folks who listen to the podcast regularly, a little bit different kind of firm. We've been talking with peers of yours more in the tech space or the um, consulting space. I mean, you are a service firm. That's right. For sure. Um, So let's get into talking about executive engagement and and C-suite relationships. You obviously have an enormous clientele. I think a pretty diverse clientele. Where do executive level relationships fit into the business? Why is that so important? You know, we're at a really interesting intersection right now with our clients. Um, We have clients that are, that crisscross the C-suite and have, they're either in it or they're connected to it because you're decision makers when it comes to that, you know, diverse service offering that I was just referencing means that you're talking to members of the leaders in the real estate part of the business, uh, potentially CHROs, CMOs, CEOs, CTOs, but you could also be going through to more junior roles. It, it just depends on the, the problem that we're helping companies solve. I think that interesting inflection point that we're talking about is one of the gifts of COVID and the pandemic in 2020, because the conversation around real estate has been heavily um, impacted from right. the pandemic. And therefore, where the organizations are around their, their real estate decisions is, is something that is varying company to company. Um, and so it's opening up the conversation in much broader ways. Um, in some ways, it's very consultative as opposed to just going straight to a design solution because of the strategies that our clients mm. are having, because they're all going through their own redefinition um, of what the built environment means to them. So if you think about that from a developer who's trying to think about what's the next generation of a mall to a convention center operator who's currently serving as a vaccine you know, right. outpost and not hosting meetings to what is the future of an airport gonna look like all the way through to where we all are in our own workplaces. When are we going to go back? What's that going to look like? So you can see, and when I get there, what is that experience going to, going to be? So you can see the, the touch points around the built environment right now. And so where we live in that conversation and who we're talking to is what's this incredible space that we're in right now. Right. So more strategic conversations. Absolutely with a broader group of leaders. Correct, correct. From an audience perspective, are there any particular groups that now have become much more important? Uh, You know, I think our real estate leaders, and and if you think about an organization, you have real estate divisions, um, and they're called all different types of things, have different Mm -hmm. types of titles. I think there have been examples where they may have been much more on the cost side of the balance sheet, you know, and, and may yeah. have been reporting through finance or, you know, it was much more aligned with, with cost. And now they've moved into, um, if they weren't there before, they've had a, an opportunity to move into a far more strategic role and they're having conversations with their C-suite around what are the decisions we need to make on behalf of our people, on, a, on behalf of our customers or clients, on behalf of 
you know, uh, all of the, the, the varying the touch points that, that these brands have as it, as it pertains to, you know, to real estate. And so that's, that's super exciting. And it's super exciting to be on this journey with them. Oh my gosh. And I, I know that you've invested heavily in thought leadership and really talking about some of these bigger issues. And so how does that support these kinds of conversations and kinds of relationships that you're trying to strengthen? Yeah, I think, you know, something that uh, drew me to Gensler back when I began my own personal journey with joining joining the firm was Gensler was always doing things a little bit differently. It's always been a firm that has focused on research, focused on thought leadership, led with thought leadership. So, you know, from a, from a marketing perspective, there is this recognition that we were prepared for this moment where we needed to, to really lean into thought leadership because we'd already had, we were built on a chassis that was already supporting content marketing as our core strategy. And so what we've been able to do is really just lean heavily on that and probably move to how we deliver that thought leadership. That's, that's been the big evolution over the past year and how we've delivered it more in real time, digital first, you know, and all the, all the things that, that, that we've all been talking about um, across the industry. And so that's, I think that's been um, the incredible recognition of how we could leap off of that foundation that was already in place. No, that's, that's fabulous. And, and certainly on this podcast, we've talked a lot about thought leadership as the fuel um, and to have a strong foundation obviously gave you yes. a big leg up. Yes. Um, but not only did you have to think about different ways of delivering it, but also different topics, Absolutely. different issues. And so it, you're talking about, you know, incredible disruption and new audiences, the old yeah. audiences thinking about new issues and new audiences. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. I would say three, three years ago, it might have been longer than that. We actually did an audit of ourselves, a content audit, um, and looked at our blog and uh, its old state. It's, uh, it's evolved since then. And acknowledged that we had 109 um, voices blogging in one year. And we actually identified that as problematic because we thought, how many voices can one person follow? It's a lot. What are they talking about? I actually haven't, full disclosure, haven't pulled the numbers for her or, or I don't have them actually uh, right in front of me. But um, I would actually argue we probably have more than 109 <laughs> voices that blogged this past year, but it's no longer a problem because I think what we've done and, and to your point about um, you know, the, the types of conversation we need to be having, we've had to get very specific and very practical with the thought leadership that we are sharing. You know, we focused a lot on strategies, practicality, how, you know, in a moment where nobody knows what the right answer is, how can we offer advice that's grounded in research, but also highly actionable for our clients who just need support right now as they're all trying to figure this out. You know, in, in the beginning, it was everybody was going home. Um, how do you help that? And now it's how do we get everybody back safely right. through well-being and consider everything that we've been through together along the way? Because as we go back, it, it has to be that strategy for going back has to also be informed by equity, inclusion, 
um, a consideration for climate change because all of those imperatives got louder over the past year. So mm -hmm. it's actually being able to capture voices from this large subset of our firm has been an opportunity for us and it becomes our marketing team's um, responsibility to ensure we are properly writing headlines and you know appealing to those who want something out of everything they want to create a bouquet of thought leadership you know and pull from all of these things so it's a really interesting moment no i like that and i want to come back to your comments on on equity and inclusion in particular but first one of the things that itsma has seen in research we've done with your clients essentially and and other buyers of professional services is that their interest in thought leadership has grown, but the time horizon has shrunk. It's mm. kind of to your point of more actionable, more practical, you know, as thought leadership marketers, we're often trying to think about, well, we want to be visionary and talking about right. 10 years down, you know, yeah. and you know, what's the mix, you know, kind yeah. of horizon one, horizon two, horizon uh -huh. three. Um, have you seen that as well, though, oh, that, you know, this, like, we, we don't know what the longer term future is, we need to really move now. Yeah, I, I've seen it both from how we've measured audience engagement, but also how our leaders are recognizing it, you know, because simultaneous, so our thought leadership is, is founded in the people who represent our brand, you know, we are a talent brand, our people are our product. And so as much as we are pulling out content and creating content from them, they are also speaking to clients, speaking to the media, you know, uh, doing virtual whatever. And we are grabbing that feedback from what are they hearing um, as well. And so you start, you know, it's, it's really interesting to your point. We used to have conversations all the time around evergreen and shelf life. And I think everybody's just given up on the shelves, <laughs> um, <laughs> just put it right in the basket. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I actually find that, you know, even having conversations, you know, with our leadership around that and being freed of what is that long-term vision and, you know, are we looking, but no, let's think about this in, you know, for example, in this given moment, we're in, we're February in the United States, we're, we're thinking that we're going to have vaccines by July, that defines a period of time, a moment in time that we have to respond to right now. And right. then in July, <laughs> we're gonna shift gears and be talking about what's new, but the likelihood is something else is gonna change between now and July. We have to be agile, our favorite words, agile is the new innovation and, and, you know, and, and just stay on our, on our toes. And that's, that's what's pretty incredible. I will say, though, from a measurement standpoint, something that has continued to intrigue me as we look at, you know, and measure engagement, you know, and I say we like tossed out evergreen, but there are pieces of content that we put out in March last year that is still our top performing content. And, you know, you would have thought we would have moved on from then, but, but it, it actually goes to, to prove the point that good content is good content, hard yeah. stop like dusting off the Chanel jacket in your closet. She's still right. good. Um, you know, I think that uh, there are still some, some topics from the beginning of, of this whole journey that we've been on that are still highly relevant. 
So I'm curious, you, Leslie, you made me think about something that is the work that Gensler does, like in an interesting way, like the work that a lot of big technology companies do, the work itself is very long-term and very mm -hmm. long-lasting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're talking about designing a mall, uh, you know, the world is changing by the day now, but once you design that mall, you know, it should have a long life. Yeah. And so it's, that's not evergreen content, but it's the stakes are very high for the kinds of things you're talking about. And so, you know, you can't be changing your point of view on some of those issues. Yeah, you know, it's, it's you're bringing up a couple interesting points, I would say. One is, uh, you know, I think there's a, a, an interesting discussion that we've been having internally that some of the, um, the research, so we do a very robust workplace survey. We publish it on a regular basis. We sped up publishing over the past yeah. year and we're doing it more frequently, but it's giving that pulse check on where we are in the workplace. There are flags that we can see over the past few years that have, have been coming up that just became exponentially more evident during the pandemic when we all had to go home. And I say that to, to basically to outline that there are things that have been coming for some time and they're still relevant, still changing. People still need choice. People still need focus. People still want social. Right you know, uh, the, the discussion around open office and what that means. And so I say that to mean like, there's so much has changed, but then there were also things that I, I think were just in motion um, that we put a fine point on during the pandemic. Now, all of that being said, and, and by the way, we should acknowledge and recognize those trends so that there's just a, a known awareness because um, right. it's all grounded in, in human behavior. The thing that you, you know about the ball and the long-term planning, I do think we are, we are being asked to be uh, you know, facilitating conversations around flexibility in ways that are far more evident than, than you know, maybe they were in the past. But I, but I say that to mean, yes, the plan right now is we're gonna build a mall, but how do you make that space flexible to change and evolve. And that's, that's and so back to how even our clients and their roles have been evolving. Um, it's because you realize that everything has to be agile, back to that word, and, and to be the smartest strategy to get right. your largest ROI, to keep it going and relevant. No, that's what, I, you know, when I was thinking more of the open office, but the mall is a great example too, but you know, so many firms have been building offices to promote, you know, informal collaboration, everybody right. getting together. Right. And right. now it's like, oh my God, we need to be safe and distanced and right. protected. Right. And we also, we need to reuse real estate because that's a, a massive, you know, strategy and climate Absolutely. action. Yeah. Right. So. Um, so let me pivot from that to pick up what you mentioned a couple of minutes ago around equity and inclusion. And you have never been shy, and the, and the firm is, is not shy at all about really speaking out about, you know, big and important social issues and environmental issues and political issues and so on. And I think that really accelerated 
over the past year. How does that work? How do you think about that at, at Gensler? You know, I think we actually very much stay out of politics. And I, and I think that that's, you know, intentional and appropriate. I think instead we focus on leading our industry and trying to be, to walk the walk and drive change through our own action. As the largest design firm, we have a responsibility to the industry to lead. We also have a responsibility because in that leadership, we can scale impact. And so that's not to say like, because we're the biggest, you know, yada, yada. It's more to say like, let's understand that scale matters. And if we want to make a change in our profession around ensuring that we are diversifying our designers, that we are focused on recruiting and creating a pipeline for designers of color, that a firm like Gensler can make a, a significant impact in our industry because of our scale. And so, you know, I think that's, that's what we publicly came out with. You know, we specifically issued five strategies um, and what it means across our industry, with our clients, with our people. Um, and, you know, it, it's something that, that we are, it, it's almost, it, it brings a, an energy to talk about it because you're just, you're passionate about it. Um, you know, when you talk about designing for the world, design is at its best when those who are at the table having conversations around a design solution and being problem solvers, because that's, that is inherently what a designer is. They are a problem solver that those who are solving those problems together are at their best when they have diversity around the table. That's where innovation happens. That's where we thrive with the best solutions because you've got diversity of thought, diversity of background. I think now us being far more um, intentional around what that diversity means, the definition of it, what we're aiming to be at because we've got a lot of room for improvement across our industry, that's extremely exciting. Because it not only means that we're going to be doing what we should be doing, but it also means that the outcomes are going to be that more incredible. Right. And your people that much more empowered and excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you say, you're a talent brand. I mean, that's, that's right. the business. That's the business. And how are your clients responding? Yeah, I think we're getting incredible requests from our clients to come have a conversation our clients are going through their own journeys on this topic. And so us doing it from a knowledge share perspective, best practices, outreach, I think the conversation is clearly long overdue. But now that we're having it this way with our clients in a way that's a, a very engaged conversation is, um, is what we need to do. And so I think those conversations come in varying forms. It could be knowledge share. It could be asking us things in a very systematic way to ensure that we're following best practices. But in general, we're thrilled to be having the conversation. No, that's great. And what's your sense, Leslie? We've had over, I mean, I'm certainly old enough uh, <laughs> to remember waves of discussions and energy around social issues, environmental issues, in the past, which to some extent have come and gone. And, and, and to some extent, I think it even is a reflection of the state of the economy. Mm. You know, when times are good, it's easy to be more expansive in your thinking and your concerns. 
This feels a little different to me over the last year. I'm curious your sense. Yeah, speaking just personally, I agree with you. It feels different in a good way. It feels more authentic. You know, there are such interesting conversations. And if you think about it, like just the, the, the timeline of, of events, you know, when the business roundtable came out with their... their Stakeholder capitalism right. and right. Correct. And that was, that happened, what, what was it, a year and a half ago? Couple, two years? Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. certainly <laughs> before, it was 2019, I think. It was certainly before the pandemic. Right. But, it, but isn't it interesting that that happened yes. and then what's happened since that it's right. a, that there's already, it, again, back to flags, you know, the, the flag started to begin flying around something's amiss in corporate America. You know, I'm so optimistic when I hear things about corporate America, private leading public, that's when, you know, change is going to matter. You know, I, I have a great anecdotal story, you know, as told by our co-CEO who was on a panel, a climate change panel, and, and there was actually, um, I'll mistell it, but she was basically sitting next to a European civic leader. You know, they were having this rich conversation around climate action, and the, the civic leader turned to our co-CEO and she said, you know, you know that private companies will lead this far faster than any public can. And I remember being told that, and again, this was years ago, you know, it was like mental note of, huh, fast forward, you have a CEO roundtable that is, is talking about how we need to, who we need to be accountable to and how. Now fast forward to the conversation around climate action and it's GM coming out with what they're going to do next. It's, it's these companies that are, that are issuing their proclamation of goals that's going to set the change. So back to, does this feel different? I think it does because we've got commitments coming from people who will be holding themselves accountable that have articulated it in a way that others will be holding them accountable. And that, that to me is, is showing the change happening. Oh, that's great. So let me, we just have a couple of minutes left and uh, let me turn this around a little bit and personalize it a little bit more and, and uh, kind of ask two questions in one. You're an executive, you are marketed to by other companies probably that I also work with that have executive engagement programs and they're reaching out to CMOs. So I want to ask you two questions. The first one is just as a prospect, as a target of C-suite marketing and executive engagement programs, tell me a little bit about kind of how you deal with that, what works, what doesn't work. And then I want to layer into that this last bit around social issues and sustainability and so on. And to what extent is that something that you mm. would respond more to? Two great questions. <laughs> you know, I think as it, as it you know, pertains to being invited to, you know, me being marketed to, I, I, I do receive invitations to attend events, um, to attend online events. And, and I think one of the things that I always look for, if in fact I would commit to doing one, is will I come out smarter than I came into the conversation? Um, and so it goes back to just the, the basics of marketing. Is the content good? If the content's good, then absolutely I'll make time for it. Time is such an interesting conversation right now, <laughs> you know, with this blurry line between work and life. You know, if you're going to get in the way of me 
going to pick up my kid <laughs> from, right. from the school he just got back to, um, then it's got to be a really compelling reason. Or if it's going to take away from that 15 minute break that I was going to give myself because I need one because I've been on Zoom calls all day long, it, it needs to be compelling. So, um, so I think first thing that I look for is really compelling content um, that I feel like is, is going to help me with my goals of what I'm trying to drive in my organization. Well, maybe I'll pause there. Do you want, do you want me to elaborate <laughs> on anything? That I well, do? no, I mean, it, 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 it just, it's the flip side of what you were talking about. It, yeah. it, like thought leadership is incredibly important. It right. needs to be timely. It needs to be relevant. It needs to right. be focused. And, and that becomes the basis for a useful conversation. Absolutely. And then the second question that I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, you're putting so much energy into, you know, purpose-driven branding, purpose-driven yes. business, you know, taking stands on important social issues, driving that through the business. To what extent do others who are trying to reach you mm. as a client or a, a colleague, is, is that something that has risen on your list? My goodness, that's a really interesting question. You know, I think that um, I just keep thinking the word that keeps coming to mind is authentic. And if people want to have an authentic conversation about social issues, you know, then we're on to something. If it makes sense to be having a conversation again, because like I'm going to go in and I'm going to learn something, there's going to be a call to action that is strong and inspiring. Yeah. You know, I, I really think that you've got to use that wisely, meaning, you know, that, that trying to appeal to the fact that we're all trying to be purpose-driven. If you're trying to appeal to that in marketing leaders, it has to be authentic. Otherwise it just becomes, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't yeah. feel good. No, that, that, that makes absolute sense. Um, let me ask you a couple just quick questions to, to wrap with. Are there um, other marketers or other companies that are particularly inspiring for you these days? Mm, for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, um, I do think about, I actually think the, I just said GM and maybe that's, that's top of mind, but I think, I think it's also just as, you know, just a full disclosure, I, I spent time in the Midwest and seeing Detroit have a comeback um, is something I get very excited about. Mm -hmm. I love the city. And so when you start to hear, let's just say car companies in general, start to push themselves to redefinition, because that is so, it's so complicated. Um, for companies that are built, you know, it's, what was I, I was listening to um, who knows what um, yeah. the other day and, and talking about the shift from, you know, mechanical engineers to software engineers yeah. within a, within a company, like that's the mindset shift for what a GM is going through these days. So saying you're going to change something so massively and disrupt your company. So is that's, that's inspiring because yeah. that means we all are, you know, have that level of disruption, re redefinition, reset in us. Back to the, that conversation around um, how we're leading through change. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So that's probably, probably my best example. Good. No, that's good. All right. Um, any final thoughts or, you know, words of advice to other folks who are 
working on C-suite marketing and executive engagement? You know, I think right now is probably the most fun I've had in my career thus far. And I say that meaning I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tired of sitting down. (laughs) But, you know, my goodness, actually being able to see impact from what we're doing in marketing is is pretty incredible. So, you know, my, my best advice is find the joy, go after it, be fearless. There's no time like the present to fail fast and figure it out because we're, we're all in it together. So I, I have an incredible peer group and, uh, and people that I lean into that are doing the same thing. And that's probably been one of the more inspiring parts of, of my career is, is knowing, I even said to, to members of my own team today that the grass is no other color anywhere else. Like we are all going through this together. Oh, <laughs> so, that's great. That's um, great. you know, I think you, I think we all, we can be really tough on ourselves right now, especially in the conversation around, you know, the social issues that we're all addressing. We can be real tough on what we are or aren't doing. And everybody just needs to take a deep breath and do the right thing. That's fabulous. That is a perfect ending. Leslie, thank you so much. Great conversation. Thank I learned you. a lot. <laughs> that's well, that's, and, that's uh, generous. We'll thank have you. you back. We'll have you back soon. <laughs> I appreciate it, Rob. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Please let us know what you think and any suggestions you have about other guests or topics for future podcast conversations. Check out other episodes of C-Suite Marketing on ITSMA.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again to our sponsor, Boardroom Insiders. Have a great day.